Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined as always in Zoom conference by the, the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, the Mets won a game last night against the Phillies as we speak on Monday morning. But I think at this point, you have to admit that it's too little too late. First of all, I appreciate that you added back in the as always, because after I had been gone for uh, four months there, uh, I noticed that you dropped it in our recent episode, that you were no longer joined <laughs> as always by me, because it, it wasn't true. It felt uh, sporadic. Now, <laughs> for for a minute there, it felt sporadic. <laughs> and and now we're back to normal. Um, yeah, the, the Mets are five and a half games back uh, in the division still, uh, and three and a half back in Philadelphia for second place. Uh, they are seven out in the wild card, which is crazy because a week ago uh, they were uh, just, uh, I believe, three games out in that. Uh, and the teams that they were chasing outside of the one, the Cardinals, have not played well in that span. Like they've gotten uh, teams like the the Reds to lose series to the Pirates, things that they needed to happen as long as they won. Uh, and they've happened outside of the Mets performing well in their own series against St. Louis and Philadelphia. So uh, the the math is not, uh, this is not uh, Algebra 1 math. It's more complex for them at this point. Uh, they need still to basically make up two games on the Braves in the next week and a half to give them a shot uh, to be back, you know, within three and a half for that final series. But it looks like they might also, by that point, still be behind Philadelphia and need help from them, even if things break right for them. Those teams are playing easier schedules this week. I think the Phillies playing the, maybe it's the Orioles and Nationals, uh, something like that, uh, while the uh, Braves are playing in Arizona and in San Diego. Uh, Arizona's not very good. San Diego is not playing very well, uh, especially lately. So uh, it's, it's you know, the, the odds are quite long uh, and, and probably as long as they have been. Uh, at any point in the season for the Mets. So I, th- I think we can probably get to the point where we're uh, looking more uh, ahead uh, than behind. Yeah, the uh, the Phillies have three against the Orioles and then four against the Pirates coming up. And, you know, you alluded to it, but the I guess the important thing to keep in mind is that this Mets team had every opportunity to climb back into the race, really even to overtake the Braves and Phillies, or, or even in just the last few weeks. And... They just simply did not take it. This is not a postseason team. They don't deserve to be a postseason team. It's disappointing. It's uh, especially disappointing because they were in first place for such a large portion of this season. But uh, the cracks have all become uh, way too clear. And I think a couple of them were almost underscored by the, the win on Sunday night because... You could uh, see the big hits from Dom Smith and Jeff McNeil and think, man, where have those been all year? 
Yeah, it, it really, you know, you look at, at what this team has done this year, and, and we've said it a lot. We've said it really dating back to like the second week of the season uh, that the offense has just not performed the way you expected the offense to perform. Uh, and a lot of that focus early on in the season was on Francisco Lindor, uh, and he's been better, uh, like we talked about last week, since really the end of May. You know, there was a lot on Michael Conforto uh, before and, and shortly after his, his injured hamstring that he suffered in May. Uh, and he's gotten, he's been better of late, still not, you know, where he wants to be going into a, a free agent, a free agent offseason. Uh, but then I think the the two guys that have, have really been perplexing uh, and guys who are, are here to stay, you would think, or, or under team control for a while are Dominic Smith and Jeff McNeil. You know, McNeil, uh, looking at his numbers now, just a 252 average, a 318 on base, 364 slugging. It's an 89 OPS plus. This is a guy who, Coming into the season, I believe his career batting average coming into this year was about where his on-base percentage is this year. Yeah, his, his batting average coming into the year was 319. His um, OBP this year is 318. Uh, it, it's really been an offensive struggle for him. Uh, and you look at a lot of the peripheral numbers for him. You know, how hard is he hitting the ball? How often is he barreling a ball up? Uh, you know, is he what, what's the hard hit percentage? What's the exit velocity, the max exit velocity, kind of those stat cast offensive numbers. They're down, but they're not down to the extent that the, the, the batting average and the, the slugging percentage are down. You know, his, his OPS is down uh, 150 points from last year. And, and uh, last year was not his best year. You know, last year was, it was the worst of his three years uh, in the major leagues. Uh, and so it's, it's been a little perplexing to watch. And I think for him to experience that, it doesn't seem to him, at least, as if he has changed much of his approach, and yet the results are so much worse. And actually, talking to a couple people with the Mets, they don't they don't think that the results should be this bad. You know, the the bad his batting average on balls in play is down like sixty points from where it has been previously in his career. Uh, so I, you know, there is there are things that suggest this is kind of anomalous for him. I know there are fans that already want to give up on him. You know, I, I think it's it might be fair to say that. Man, that 2019 season is prob might might be might end up being the best season of his career, uh, but I I still think there's probably a good player in there and certainly someone better than he's shown this year. And then Dominic Smith, you know, his, his 2020 we all knew that was going to be uh, difficult for him to replicate. You know, the OPS was just under a thousand. He was on pace to set I think a franchise record for extra base hits had the season been 162 games. If you just extrapolated his pace, he was going to slow down from where he was, but I don't think anyone expected it to come this far back where he's looking more like he did kind of that first season and a half in the majors than he did in 19 and 20. Uh, and that's, that's a big question because, you know, he doesn't fit your roster defensively at the moment without a designated hitter. You know, he's playable in left field. He's turned himself into a playable left fielder, but not a positive uh, value left fielder. Uh, you don't know if you're going to have the designated hitter, and you probably won't know for most of the offseason as well. There are a lot of, of fans that I see who say, you know, trade Smith unless you have the DH. But you're not going to know that probably until February. So that you're not going to be able to build your offseason plan around that information. Uh, and, you know, if he's even if you have a DH and you want to put him at first base, is he going to hit enough to play a premium offensive position if he's not giving you a lot of defensive value? Uh, and so I think there are probably more questions surrounding him long term maybe anyone else on the roster. 
I want to get to some of these off-season questions. We're going to obviously spend a whole lot of time on them coming up because uh, there's not a lot of, of regular season questions worth discussing at this point. But one point I've been thinking about with the Mets and, and missing the playoffs and, and how disappointing they've been is when you look at a championship team or you look at a really good team, even the teams you expect to be good, invariably, invariably there are a couple of guys every year on the good teams who perform way above what you'd expect. Um, as the current San Francisco Giants are just like lined with them. The 2021 Mets, I don't think, unless you want to say Jonathan VR, I don't think there's a single offensive player who has been, and, and Javi Bias, who's been great since they, since they got him, but he's only been here for, you know, a, a fifth of the season or a quarter of the season. Um, there's no guy. Who, there's not a single guy who is like, oh, he played way better than you expected him to. Yeah, I, I mean, you say basically that Alonzo uh, and uh, Nimmo are the two guys who have kind of played the way you, you mm-hmm. thought they might in terms of, or have hit the way you thought they might. Uh, but outside of that, everyone else has kind of been much worse than you expected coming into the season. Uh, you know, Lindor has been below his track record. McCann has been below his track record. We just talked about McNeil and Smith. Uh, Conforto has been worse. J.D. Davis, you know, <laughs> Davis is kind of a weird situa- weird season to evaluate because the overall numbers look very good. Uh, they look better than I think it feels with the way that mm-hmm. he's hit. Um, and, he's, you know, he's missed a lot of time. So it's five home runs. Um and it's not the power that you expect out of him, but the overall, you know, the on-base percentage is 389. He's, he's had a nice season in that regard. It just feels like he hasn't been the, the consistent presence because of playing time lately and, and injuries earlier in the year. Uh, but yeah, that the whole roster you expect, you know, there are going to be guys who don't play up to their standard in any given season. Uh, you look at a team like the Dodgers and yeah, like Cody Bellinger is having an absolutely miserable season and the team is still doing well. And that's because they have, you know, like Chris Taylor is having a, a good year up until uh, like the last month where he slumped a lot. And Will Smith is a, a good player, but probably not a guy you expected to be hitting quite uh, to the level that he's hit this season. And they've had different guys step up. You know, if Bellinger is uh, 80% worse than you thought he was going to be, they've got a bunch of guys who are, are 10 to 15% better making up for it. And the Mets don't have those guys making up for uh, the down season of, of so many of their players. It puts them in a really strange spot. A lot of things put them in a really strange spot heading into the offseason. For one thing, every team is going to be in something of a strange spot because there is this looming collective bargaining agreement and we don't know. It seems almost like everyone expects a lockout. Um, and so you don't know, I guess, when that's necessarily going to come and and to what extent it's going to affect teams offseason plans. You alluded to the fact you didn't allude to. You just straight up said that they won't know uh, whether there's even going to be a DH in the National League next, next year until very late in the offseason at the earliest, which is ridiculous. They should just it feels like everyone is on the same page on that one and they, they might as well just say so. Um, and yet it's, it's clearly not going to happen because that's not how, how major league baseball operates. Um, and then, you know, the Mets have all of these players who you want to say, like you said, Jeff McNeil, there's a good player in there. Right. Um, and so I think if you're looking at like your traditional, 
microeconomics, you say, well, we, we, you know, we don't, we don't sell low, right? Like you could, you shouldn't trade Jeff McNeil at this point in his career coming off the worst season of, of his career. Um, but at the same time, you absolutely can't just return all these same players and say, okay, well maybe they'll be better this year. Yeah. I, I think we, we talked last week. You don't want to just run it back with these guys, uh, and hope for, uh, so many players to rebound uh, from a down season. I, I do think there is w- one thing that um, my first thought going into the offseason with the roster uh, is you know, I see a lot of, of fans who want to, you know, like, you know, McNeil's having the season he's having, trade him, see what you can get for him and move on. Or trade Dom Smith for a reliever, you know. Um, and I, you don't have to trade any of these players. <laughs> yes, all you do. To satisfy, do you have to satisfy my bloodlust for trades? They're all under inexpensive team control. Uh, you're a team that has financial flexibility uh, at the you know in a way that so few teams have because of the uh, uh, wealth of your owner. Uh, and the the sport is moving in a direction uh, where like you don't need to have you don't you don't have to come to opening day of the season and say here are my eight regulars and here are my five bench guys uh, and there's a real distinct split between those two groups. Um, I look at a guy like McNeil. Uh, and and think he's a guy you know maybe he doesn't need maybe he's not the guy who gets 700 plate appearances for a championship team anymore maybe maybe you can't count on him going into next season as we're going to hit him second he's going to get 700 plate appearances he's going to be an offensive star for us he's going to play second base every day uh, but you say we can get him 450 plate appearances he's going to play some second maybe he plays some third plays some left he plays some right plays everywhere uh, and, and performs really well for us uh, and maybe he doesn't start on opening day, but he's still going to fit into a lot of roles, uh, you know, the way that like Jonathan VR has for them this year. VR's got 465 plate appearances at this point in the season, uh, and he was not an opening day starter. He was not supposed to get this many plate appearances. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, with the number of injuries that that all teams go through, but in, in particular this franchise, uh, it would be helpful. You know, we've seen just the last last couple of weeks when they've been playing, when they've been having Davis and Smith on the bench. That's helped their bench. Their bench has been much better because those guys are on it. You know, if you go into next year uh, and you you keep J.D. Davis, you keep Jeff McNeil, you keep Dominic Smith, maybe even you keep Robinson Cano, like we talked about uh, recently. Uh, oh, he's I keep on the forgetting. roster. I keep forgetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you can roster all of those guys, and they, they don't all have to be starters. None of them have to be starters. That can be your bench. Like, you can... Mm-hmm. You can work through some things. You know, there, there might be a little defensive uh, rigidity in that bench, not a lot of flexibility, but uh, like, I don't think we need to, you don't need to, it's not an either or where it's like either Dominic Smith is the starting left fielder or he's not on the team or either J.D. Davis is the starting third baseman or he's not on the team. Uh, th- those guys are in arbitration. They're not making a ton of money. You're not paying, you know, you don't have to come to terms with them on a long-term contract the way you have to with someone like Conforto potentially. Uh, so you can you can carry them through the uncertainty to see where they are. You know, if there is another team out there that says, you know, we love Dominic Smith's bat. We need a first baseman. We think we value what he can do for us at first base so much that we're going to trade you something, someone who fits your roster better. Uh, and that's not a reliever because relievers, <laughs> you, do, you don't trade for relievers. I don't I, I don't think it's a good idea really to ever trade for relievers because I've seen too many of them go south. But, you know, if, if someone wants to trade you their number three starter, a solid number three mid-rotation starter for Dominic Smith, uh, and uh, that, that pitcher's under cost control the way, way the same way Smith is, 
Well, then, yeah, that's a trade that could make sense for you. But you don't just you don't put them on the market and say, OK, we're going to get the whatever we can get for Dominic Smith. We'll take the best offer uh, because of, he's had a down season. The guy was really, really good for you, not just in 2020, but in 2019 as well. Uh, he's shown some growth in the outfield. You might you probably be, you will probably be getting a designated hitter before too long in the sport uh, that that he could be a value to your roster. Uh, he doesn't have to be an everyday player for you to have value. In fact, he might have more value for you when he's not an everyday player because it does seem like that every day, uh, that playing every day for so long this year did catch up with him. He is the one position player on the roster who was on opening day roster who did not go to the injured list at all. Uh, and I think we've seen him play through some things over the course of the season. And now that he's gotten, you know, he hasn't played a lot in the month of September, uh, he's looked maybe a little bit fresher, at least on Sunday night. You have just jinxed Dominic Smith. Uh, hopefully, he uh, run, run tread carefully uh, on in the game Tuesday night to Dom Smith. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to I think we're going to have time over the the next couple months to probably get into every single offseason decision facing this team. So I want to start with a few of the ones that seem sort of obvious to me. Um, guys coming up for qualifying offers, Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. Anyone else? Is that, is it just those two? Yeah. They can't give it to Stroman, uh, because he's he's already had it. They can't give it to Bias because he was traded mid season. I mean, they, they, like they could conceivably give one to, to VR or Jerry's Familia. Like those guys are, you're allowed to give them a qualifying offer. I don't, I don't think they're in the neighborhood that you would want to do that. You know, Aaron loop, uh, you could give a qualifying offer to, uh, I don't, I don't think that's uh, a possibility really. I would like them to give Aaron Loop a qualifying offer just for being cool and just like, hey, you know what? You earn twenty million dollars. Like, take it. Like, yes, uh, just just have this this money because uh, you were really, really, really good this year, and you seem like a cool guy with the whole bush light thing. Uh, I don't think that's how they're gonna play it, but I have to imagine. Uh, like, it seems like Conforto even after this season. Um, it seems like a no-brainer to me, right? Like it just seems like that's that's sort of like the perfect situation for the Mets because uh, at you know if he takes it, then you get to run it back with Conforto. You've you've seen him produce. You know he's a better player than than this. Um, it buys you a year to maybe if you want to go back to thinking about an extension. Remember, coming into the season, it seemed like extending Conforto should have been one of their top priorities, and now no one's super eager to give 
Conforto a, a nine million dollar contract. Uh, I'm sorry, a nine figure contract. Un- understandably, but uh, he he has been that guy in the past, and and the qualifying offer is a is a very low risk way of of seeing if he wants to do that in New York again. Now I think there's a chance he turns it down just to have that pillow season be in a better offensive environment. But it seems like there's really no harm in in extending it. Yeah, I, I think I think that it is a no-brainer. Uh, you you extend the qualifying offer to him. Uh, my my real pet peeve with the qualifying offer is the verb you have to use for it is always extend because the other one would be offer and you can't say offer the qualifying mm-hmm. offer. It's a real issue in baseball writing. They got to rename it. That's that's the biggest issue in the CBA in my mind. What about uh, resign and resign? <laughs> you know, I've gotten used to that. You always just got to put the dash in the resign. Mm-hmm. Just make sure. Uh, that's that's an English language problem. Right. Um, with Conforto, yeah, like uh, I would actually say the chances of him accepting it are probably below fifty percent at this point. Not much below fifty percent. They're they're certainly higher than they were at the beginning of the season when you thought he was going to sign a five or six year deal worth twenty million plus per season. The qualifying offer will be in the nineteen million to twenty million dollar range. Uh, I think you extend that 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 to him. Uh, I'm interested. You know, he'll get a good read of his market over the course of the of time when he's debating whether to accept that or not. Uh, and see where you know there are other factors that come into his decision and that will be kind of the the labor uncertainty you know he's the Mets player rep he's familiar with what's going on uh, and that this is maybe not the best year to be a guy coming off of it's, it's a tough year to be a free agent regardless especially if you're coming off uh, a bad season the way he is uh, and also like what do some other outfielders do is Nick Castellanos a free agent as well because he's got an opt-out clause and a guy who's got kind of a similar track record and coming off a much better season uh, and and who else gets a qualifying offer if, you know, is Castellanos a free agent without a qualifying offer? Then it becomes a lot more attractive than a guy who has rejected a qualifying offer and, and those types of things. So I think it's it's win-win for the Mets because having him back on a one-year $20 million deal is not a bad thing for this team. Again, they've got money. Uh, they can afford that in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been able to just a short time ago. Uh, so I, I think he's, yeah, like you extend the qualifying offer, uh, he's probably less likely to accept it than uh, the other guy I assume you're going to ask me about. Um, but I, th- I think that's where you start your offseason. I'm going to ask you about that guy in a second, but I want to ask also, what about a verb for on base percentage or slugging or OP? Oh, slugging has one, but I feel like it's a lot easier to say like Jeff McNeil hit 330 last year than to say like, Jeff McNeil had a 390 on base percentage last year, right? And so what if there was just like Jeff McNeil on base 390 last year? Wouldn't that make your life easier? Yeah, I mean, like reached, because sometimes I'll say like reached base at a 390 clip or something like that. But yeah, there's definitely, uh, I like, I have, I've gone to OPS apostrophe D, like OPS uh, in the past. Um it would be nicer. I, you know, I feel sometimes when I do slash lines, I'll say he hit this yeah, non-base percentage of this. And then I'll skip the slugging and go mm-hmm. right to OPS. And I wonder if there's any like real big slugging percentage fans who are like, ah, we're getting, we're getting screwed out in the slash line again. They never want they to could do, do the math. They got to say do the three math. things. They can't say slugging. Come on. Yeah, sometimes I like going like with like he slashed 311, 383, 454 or whatever. Like, you know, because slashed is sort of like an active 
type thing uh, that that works for me. But yeah, I think that it is a I think it's holding back sabermetrics. Honestly, is that just it's just way easier to use the the traditional like he drove in this many runs. Um, no, I, 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 I think what's holding back uh, sabermetrics is the uh, inconsistent capitalization in some of their stats that WRC plus like that weighted gets lowercase the W. Uh, and it just throws people off. Uh, well, and the t- the two wins above replacement numbers very very uh, like bad. I think for for try if you're trying to make that number catch on, you have to settle on a number. To to take this conversation full circle, I did ask some both Luis Rojas and Hugh Quattlebaum about Jeff McNeil's ex woba this week expected weighted on base average, and they both agreed uh, that he should uh, that that it's not as bad as as the the primary stats like we were talking about earlier uh, with Syndergaard. I, I think he's a, also uh, pretty much a no brainer to give, to extend the qualifying offer to, uh, you know, that the talent, you know what the talent level is like there. Uh, we've seen guys, you know, if Noah Syndergaard had come back and had 10 relatively healthy, decent starts, he would be signing a contract worth uh, $80 million plus probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so since he's not getting that chance, uh, like there's there is a risk involved in in giving him a, a one year deal for 19 or 20 million dollars if he accepts it. And I think he's probably higher than 50 50 to accept a qualifying offer at this stage. Uh, you know, he's not throwing a, a breaking ball this season. If he does come back, he hasn't thrown his slider since he had his setback in June. He hasn't thrown a curveball since then. Uh, so, you know, there's the possibility you pay 20 million dollars to a, a two pitch guy, a fastball change up guy who at that point is really more of a reliever than a starter. Um, but again, it's on a one-year deal. Like I, I feel like there's no, there, for the Mets, where the Mets are financially, uh, any one-year deal is not that risky for them. Like, they can afford to take that chance if it helps them out long-term. Uh, and I think with both Conforto and Syndergaard, it, it's worth that risk because of the, the ceiling on those guys' talent level. Uh, so Syndergaard, you bring him back, you, you know, you can't have too many pitchers on this roster, as we've seen this year. Uh, if he accepts that, you get a chance for him to build his, his level before he hits his, the age of 30 in free agency. Uh, he'd still be relatively young hitting free agency as a pitcher. Uh, and, I, and that's why I think it, it would not – I would be uh, – I, I think he's got a better chance to, to take it than Conforto at this point. Yeah, my my gut would say the same. And, and I have no inside information, but it's just – especially, you know, not just that – Syndergaard hasn't played at all this year, which probably makes it a little bit more more tempting. But also, uh, Syndergaard just seems like he's he's in the New York life so much. Like it just it feels like he likes being here, like this. And, and not that not that Conforto necessarily doesn't, but like I haven't seen. I didn't read a New York Times article this morning about Michael Conforto's book club, you know, and so. <laughs> Um, to me, it just feels like like Syndergaard wants to be here. It's a great situation for a pitcher, um, right? Like for a pitcher looking for that one year to to get himself to free agency, it's perfect. Uh, especially you know now he's gonna Syndergaard's never played with Lindor behind him, and and you know maybe and and this is gonna be our uh, this is a little tease. This is gonna be our question. Maybe there's a a plus defensive second baseman next to Lindor as well, and so. Uh, for Syndergaard, I, I got to think like that's that's too much to turn down. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right that it's uh, the ballpark, especially is a better spot for a pitcher to rebuild value in a, a one year deal than a hitter. 
Uh, but Syndergaard is a guy who has kind of understood what New York can do for him in terms of a, a personal brand. Uh, not that Conforto doesn't understand that. It's just, you know, Michael Conforto has not had the same opportunities that Noah Syndergaard has had uh, to build that kind of brand. Uh, and so for him, you know, going to, uh, I don't know, Detroit or Texas or something like that is not, uh, it's not going, he's not going to get more commercials or less commercials out of that in a way that Syndergaard in New York might be more marketable uh, than, than the outfielder. So I, you're, you're right, I think. Uh, it does make more sense probably for Syndergaard, even for off-field reasons than just the on-field ones. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We have a question from Doug who's asked us a few questions across this year. Always good ones. This one, uh, very simple and straightforward. He says, for the same price, would you rather have Javi Baez or Marcus Semien at second base? You know, I disagree with your idea that that's a very simple question because price is doing a lot of work in that question. That's true. Uh, what are well, we it's ta- not, yeah, it's not a simple, it's not a simple question. It's a, it's a, it's a very uh, economically worded question. Yeah. So because with price, uh, you have to think, is that including, you know, I assume that it's worded in the way that like, oh, you could have each for this contract. Who would you prefer? Um, But uh, there's two caveats to that. One is that it is very likely at this point in time that uh, signing Marcus Stroman costs you a draft pick compensation because he's probably going to be extended the qualifying offer himself by Toronto and Javi Baez wouldn't. Uh, and right now, that draft pick compensation from the Met, for the Mets would be the 14th pick in the draft, which is mm-hmm. pretty high. Uh, I know they've given that up in the past for Michael Kadire, uh, which was probably not the wisest uh. move that Sandy Alderson had made uh, <laughs> as, as his first time around as general manager. Um, and, you know, you, if you're factoring that in and you're saying, okay, you can have each of them for, I don't know, six years and $120 million, but Strosemian also costs you the 14th draft pick next year. That's a sizable asterisk in there. The second part is contract length because I think, you know, Semyon is two years older than Baez. If you're asking me which one I want in 2022, 2023, maybe even 2024, I think Semyon is probably the better bet. I th- you know, I, I can imagine Baez having the best season in that group, but I think there's a little bit more range to his, his possibilities. I think he's got a lower floor as a player mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and I think Semyon will give you, even though his his highs have been very high in 2019 and 2021, like legitimate MVP candidate, I guess in the way Baez was in 18 as well with the Cubs. Um, you know, I think he's got probably more of a steady performance. His numbers were down in 2020. It was basically because he had a really bad first two weeks uh, and that crushes you in a 60-game season. Um, so I, I think in the short term, I would want Semyon. But if you're saying, you know, which one do you want to sign to a six-year contract? Uh, Baez is... Uh, you know, I think he's 29 now and Semin is 31 uh, by the time next year kicks in. Uh, yeah, Baez turns 29 uh, in December. Semyon uh, turns 31. He just turned 31. He two just days turned ago, 31. Three days ago, yeah. Uh, Happy so, birthday to him. Yeah, you know, if you're signing a, a guy to a, a six-year contract, you don't want, you don't want a middle infielder at 36. 
uh, we've, the Mets have seen that with Robinson Cano, the, the way that uh, production can can spin down at that point in a career. So then if it's a long-term deal, I'd want bias. If you're saying, you know, you can frame the years however you want, the money is the same, I'd probably take Semien. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to think about it. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like this would be the case, but Semien, if you go back three years, better player. Go back five years, he's been a better player. Baez has so much more star power, I think, uh, owing to the fact that he was on the, the Cubs team that, that won the first championship in, in 108 years, uh, owing to the fact that he has that prospect sheen, owing to the fact that he has these, you know, spectacular and, like, weirdly instinctual defensive plays and, and base running moves, um, and he's just, you know, so fun to watch, but that's, I'm biased because uh, Semyon has played so many of his games on the West Coast that I haven't really seen him play all that much. You know, like uh, so much of his time was was in Oakland, and uh, he's a really good player. Like I have to assume that watching someone like that every single night, like there's going to be plenty of times where it's extremely fun. Um, and so it's it's almost like and and you know I didn't even consider the the qualifying offer point. I think that that might be the deal breaker right there, but. Where I was going to come down was to say like that my brain sort of thinks it's probably Marcus Semien, but my my heart and gut definitely go with bias. Yeah, I mean there, there's an entertainment value to to what he brings above and beyond what the the Baseball Reference or, or Fangraphs page talks about, uh, and we've seen that uh, with the Mets. You know, I, I wrote about base running uh, for Monday morning, uh, and one thing I didn't put in there was uh, the way that. You know, Bias kind of electrified the Mets with his base running to this point. You know, some bad plays in there, some bad nights in there base running wise, but certainly some other plays that no one else on this roster and and maybe no one else in the major leagues can make as a base runner. Uh, Tony Tarasco, the first base coach who's who's responsible for base running, called him kind of a dash of cayenne pepper uh, to the roster, what he's able to bring and and how it uh, just, you know, it motivates other guys to look for opportunities to be more aggressive on the base paths. Uh, and that's, you know, for a team that does not run the bases very well or very aggressively uh, at this point in time because of uh, a general lack of team speed. But even the fastest guys aren't the best base runners uh, that that's in, uh, that could be an important thing to have moving forward uh, is a guy who kind of sets that tone for you alongside Francisco Lindor. So I think it's an interesting question. I don't know that it's one that the Mets are going to actively engage in because of that qualifying offer issue. Like, I think the guys are close enough where if, if the money is similar you lean Baez because you you keep your draft pick. Now, if the Mets fall further in the standings, if that draft pick goes into the top 10, uh, then they're picking 10 and 11. They can't give up the number 11 pick. The, the compensation changes. It becomes a second round pick. It's a little uh, little less expensive in terms of price to sign a guy who, who rejects the QO. But uh, this is getting into minutia that, that's probably not needed for Doug. I don't think that's minutia. I think that means that we should be rooting for the Mets to lose out now, right? Yeah, I, I don't advocate teams to tank at any point in time, really. Uh, it would, you know. Oh, I think but they're, they're right are, there. They're right there. <laughs> I think it's it's they're two and a half games clear of the the Rockies of the team that currently would draft tenth. Uh, the Mets are two and a half games clear of them. I believe it's the Tigers, uh, Indians, and Angels that are also in in between. Uh, maybe it's just two of those teams. Maybe it's just the t- Tigers and Angels. I think the Cleveland is ahead of the Mets. Um, mm-hmm. So you'd need to, to to fall flat on your face a little bit. You'd probably need to finish something like three and nine or something. 
to to get that the Rockies have played better lately but uh you know I don't it's it's the the watching this team is tough enough uh that you don't want to like actively root for them to lose uh at any point uh even at this point in the season yeah I hear that like it's 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 I wouldn't I couldn't get behind it while actually watching the games I don't think but you know rationally speaking like you, you know it does make sense for them to to fall apart here um and I get the like I have this this suspicion that like even if they went for it that would be when they started scoring 14 runs a game like this team couldn't even suck effectively <laughs> and the other thing is like they're you know the this this conversation only affects guys who are going to get the qualifying offer mm-hmm. from the non-Mets teams. Uh, so a guy like Semyon, uh, there are going to be good players who are ineligible for the qualifying offer for various reasons. Uh, Chris Bryant, you know, is not right. is is not going to get a qualifying offer from the Giants. He can't. Um, Starling Marte can't from the A's. Uh, Kevin Gosman can't from the Giants. There are going to be uh, pretty good players available where the Mets want them. Uh, where they will not have to pay the, that additional price. And this is another thing, just going back to our initial conversation about the roster and trade conversations with some of the, the guys who have underperformed this year. One of the things that uh, you know the Mets did under Brody Van Wagenen, and one of the things they did a little bit more of uh, in this past year than I expected them to, is that they they traded more than I thought. Then they used their in, in-house talent as, you know, Sandy Alderson is, is fond of saying there's two currencies in the sport, there's money and talent. And the Mets have paid a lot in talent uh, over the years, especially under Van Wagenen, but even in something like the Lindor trade or the Javi Baez trade, whereas they should be a team that pays money most of the time. Uh, and signing guys who are not, uh, you know, even if it's a, the second round pick that you're giving up in a, for a qualifying offer, signing those guys, uh, it does, you do give up talent in addition to money. Uh, and maybe they should focus more on the guys who only take money. I think that's exactly right. I want to see the Mets spend a lot of money and not give up a lot of talent. I think that's where that's that's what you should be shooting for when you have the richest owner in all of sports and when you've already said you're going to be Dodgers East. Yeah, and and like a, a small point on Cano, for instance. Uh, I think one, you know one person asked at some point, like, what level of prospect would you have to attach to Robinson Cano to trade him uh, to to get out from under the remainder of his contract? Don't do that. That's not what the Mets should do at all. The Mets should be looking to trade for as many Robinson Canos as there are in the sport to add prospects at that level. Like that's what you know. If if another team had Robinson Cano, I would be saying the Mets should trade for that guy. <laughs> the Mets should get the the other team out from under the contract and get a good prospect with him. That you know the way like uh, the Red Sox did, for instance, for Adam Ottavino last year. That's a much smaller contract they dealt for from the Yankees. But if there are teams that really want to get under the competitive balance tax and the Mets are willing to go over it, find those teams, find the, the guys who make 7 to $10 million who aren't going to be huge parts of that team, say, we'll take this guy, we'll take that contract, give us uh, you know, your 15th best prospect, the guy who's going to help us build depth in our system. That's another thing they should be looking to do this offseason. What we should be looking to do, Tim, is speak again later this week about the Mets. Yeah, they played two games in Boston, which seemed uh, at certain points in the season like it would be a match of two juggernaut first place teams. Uh, both have struggled a lot in the second half, although the Mets struggles in the second half have made the, the Red Sox second half issues seem tame, although they've, they've had more complicated off field stuff with, with a COVID outbreak and all that. Uh, but they are still in position to make the postseason. 
uh, as, as one of the more surprising teams in baseball this season, and it should be fun to uh, see the Mets in Fenway Park again. We will speak again soon. Peace out. Adios. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.